So over the past few weeks, it seems like we've been taking 100 years to go through the essential Jesus. And today we're finally going to bring it all to a close. We're going to wrap it all up. And before we do that today, what I want to do is I'm going to come down here on the floor because in just a moment, I'm, I'm giving you a heads up what I'm going to do so you're not shocked when I do it. But I'm actually going to, I want to hear from you what it is that you've been learning and what it is that you've taken away from this series, The Essential Jesus. So you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to be polite right now. Just shout it out, even if it's one word, two words, a sentence. Uh, but we are on a time limit here. So um, don't, don't take all day. But uh, let's hear some of the things. What, what is it that has really struck your heart uh, in going through The Essential Jesus? Let's, let's hear it. What, what is it? Okay. What else? I'm sorry, what? Examples of proper behavior. Hope. Commitment. Love. Confidence. Commitment. Unity. Freedom. Relationship. Somebody else said something? Okay, what else? Grace, thankfulness, acceptance. All of these are, are amazing things that we've been walking through and learning, and I'm sure we could probably inspe- spend the entire day uh, going over these and, and shouting them out. So this is awesome to hear. This is fantastic news that uh, it's touching you. It's going deep inside of you. And so today, uh, we're going to finish out this series. Now, this morning when you came in, How many of you looked at the back of the bulletin and saw the title? Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay. How many of you, when you read the title of the bulletin, some of you are just doing that now for the first time and that's okay. Don't worry, I don't even read the bulletin. So, Um, and I work here. But but anyway, uh, how many of you, when you saw the title, or maybe you're just seeing it now for the first time, how many of you got a little excited? Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay. How many of you, when you read that title, you weren't exactly excited? How many, when you saw the speaker, you weren't that excited? (laughs) Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. See, what we got to understand is in a congregation this size, in a community of faith this size, I'm no scientist, but I can guarantee you that more than half of us here are struggling with shame in some form. We're struggling to overcome shame, whether it's something in our past or whether it's something current. But we've all dealt with shame somewhere in our lives, whether it was our childhood or whether as an adult. Wherever we're at, there's been some form of shame that we've had to deal with. And probably more than half of us here are still trying to overcome shame. I want to define shame for us because we use it a lot in our vocabulary when we talk. For example, when we're talking with friends or family, we use the word shame. For example, shame on them. Or we talk to others and we feel and we say, I feel so shameful because of what I did. Or maybe even in those private moments where it's just you and God 
and you're crying out to him and you're screaming out to him about the shame that you feel, the shame that is overwhelming you. Shame actually is painful humiliation. It's something that we feel inward. It's something that grieves us, something that overwhelms us, that affects us emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. And the reason we have shame is because not only is it a painful humiliation, but it's a consequence because of our wrong actions or our foolish foolish actions. That's where shame comes from. So it's something that we did wrong or it's something that we just foolishly did. And now we're reaping the consequences, this painful humiliation. We're reaping the consequences of that pain and that's what we call shame. And so we have a hard time overcoming that shame. I'm sure a lot of us here, and I'm speaking from experience, we sometimes wish that shame comes with one of those expiration dates on it, where we just kind of look at shame and we turn it every possible way we can, and we're looking for that expiration date where it's okay, by this date, that shame's going to be gone. By this date, I'm going to overcome this shame. And we look for it, and no matter how we turn it, no matter what we do or how we look at it, that shame still seems to be there and it's still affecting us. Because shame doesn't have an expiration date. And the enemy uses that to his advantage. And one thing I want us to understand this morning is that shame is not of God. It only comes of the enemy. And if you have been believing the lie that shame comes from the Lord, he's going to set you free this morning. Because it's only conviction that comes from him. And the enemy wants to take advantage of you. So whether you're here and you are a Christ follower, or maybe you're here and you've never encountered Jesus, there's one thing that I want you to understand today, and it's this. Journeying with God isn't about sin management. It's about knowing who we are in Jesus. I'm going to repeat that. Journeying with God isn't about sin management. It's about knowing who we are in Jesus. This morning, I'm going to be straight, direct, and forward with you. And some of you say, that doesn't surprise me. Some of you, it will. But this morning, I do not have illustrations. I do not have pictures. I don't have any great videos. I come to you with the Word of God. And I'm going to prophetically speak to you this morning from my heart. And the atmosphere that I want to create in this place this morning as I have been praying is one of a family atmosphere. Kind of like we're in a living room sitting together chatting. This morning's message is not going to be about pointing fingers. It's not going to be about I told you so spiritually. It's not going to be about judgment. It's not going to be a lecture. It's just going to be us and Jesus examining the word of God. So there's no fluff, it's just the word today. There's this amazing story in the Bible, in the scriptures, that we find about overcoming shame. And it's coupled with knowing who we are in Jesus. 
And it's so easy sometimes when we read this passage, we read about this story and we highlight all these other things about this specific story and then we move on. And this morning I want us to look at this story. And so it starts out with Jesus and his disciples and they come into a town called Samaria. They've been traveling, they've been working and spending a lot of time with people and Jesus is exhausted. And in the story, in the scriptures, we're told that Jesus comes and they come into the center of the town and there is a well there. And the well is a communal well. It's where everyone comes to gather water because there wasn't the privilege of having household water where it was just running out of a tap. You had to go to the well in the center of town where everyone else would gather water and then take it back to your house. So we know that it's midday, it's, it's noon, the sun is blazing and it's hot and Jesus sits down at the well and his disciples leave him. They leave him alone, they go off, not sure what they were doing exactly. If they went to find food or, or just give Jesus some space, we're not totally 100% sure. But aside from that, he sits down at the well and a visitor comes along. Not just any visitor, it's a woman. And here Jesus is propped up against the well. And in the language, he says, woman, give me a drink. Now, I don't believe Jesus was a male chauvinist pig. And he was like demanding this of her in this nasty chauvinistic way. But he basically asks her for a drink of water. Now, there's three issues here with this story. Number one, and it all has to do with identity. It all has to do with identity. Number one, it's a woman and Jesus is a man. See, at that time in culture, women were not as equal as men were. You were seen, if you were a woman, you were seen as lower than a man. And basically, your duty was to serve the man of that time. For example, if you would go to temple or like a Jewish congregation at the time, the women were not allowed to sit with the men. They have a different place where they're supposed to sit while the men sit more towards the front and read through the Torah or the word of God. And so culture at that time said, you're a woman, your job is to serve me. So she has strike number one against her identity. Then strike number two comes along and she's not just a woman in a male society at a well alone with a man, but she's a Samaritan. And according to culture, according to society, the Samaritans and the Jews were not best buds. They didn't Facebook, they didn't tweet on Twitter, they didn't communicate, they didn't even get together to say hi because a Samaritan was considered to be the dog of the earth, according to the Jews. They were considered to be at the bottom of the pig trough where the pigs ate, not the pig slop, but lower than the pig slop is where, according to society, Samaritans were in the level of humanity compared to a Jew. Strike number two against our identity. And number three enters with this. 
She comes with her container to get water alone in the heat of the day. Now, if you're a good, good woman, you know that the time to get water from the communal well is either early in the morning in the cool of the day when everyone else is there or in the early evening, in the cool of the evening when everyone else is there. But no one goes out in the middle of the day because it is too hot to work. And if you know right, you will go get your water at the right time. This woman was avoiding people for a reason, a shameful reason. Strike three against her identity, she is carrying shame from the public. And she doesn't want anyone to know of the horrendous things that she has done. So it's easy for her to sacrifice her convenience to protect herself and go to the well when no one else is there. She's a woman, according to her identity that she's been told. She's a Samaritan and she's carrying shame. The only way that we can overcome shame as Christ followers is to know how God views us. How we're known in heaven impacts how we live here on earth. I'm gonna repeat that. How we live here, how we are viewed in heaven is how we live here on earth. See, we flip-flop that a lot. We feel that the way we live here on earth impacts heaven. And we walk around and we go through all of our self-examination and our sin management. And once we get to that place where we feel that we're comfortable enough and we're good enough to approach the presence of God, that maybe, just maybe he'll actually listen to what I have to say. Maybe he'll actually consider my prayer request. Then I can approach God and heaven will be impacted. And that's not reality. Because the way heaven views us is how it impacts we live here on earth. And I'm going to explain that in just a few moments. But a lot of times the reason we don't overcome shame is because we're having an identity crisis. If I told you right now to pull out your driver's license, I don't think many of you would have a hard time figuring out what that is because our driver's license is our identification. It's who we're known by. It has our name, has our date of birth, has our eye color, our hair color, our height. All of these things that particularly state, this is you as an individual. In the same manner, we have a heavenly identification. That when God created us, he said, ah, this is the color hair he will have. And these are the color eyes that she will have. And this is who she will be. And this is who he will be. And this is how I will see them always. But when we approach God, it's conditional, right? We approach him how we see ourselves. And we try to project that onto him. And we're like, obviously, because I see myself this way, then that means Jesus, you see me that way. And then we try to live our relationship that way with him. It's like the woman at the well. Can you imagine what was going through her mind? Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, there's a man at the well. 
oh, there's a man at the well, there's a man at the well, there's a man at the well. Okay, I'll come back, I'll come back, but wait, I really need this water. Okay, all right, let's do this, all right? We're going to do this, we're going to do this. I won't speak to him, he won't speak to me. I'll get in, get the water, I won't make eye contact, and we're going to make it. And as she approaches him, she realizes he's a Jew according to what he's wearing. So now it just takes another level of identity crisis. And she approaches this man, Jesus, the same way we approach God. This is who I am here on earth, so this must be how you view me in heaven. And we can relate to this 100%, all of us, no matter who we are. And so let's pick up in the conversation, John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 10. It says this, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. When we know who God is, and if we know how he views us, we live differently here on the earth. If we know who God is and we know how he views us, then we will live differently here on the earth. Jesus tells this woman basically the same thing. She gives him every excuse in the book and he turns around and he says, woman, if you knew who I was and you knew how I viewed you, you would be living differently right now in this moment. And we come to Jesus with the same response. We come to him, right? And, and we say, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, oh, I don't know how you can love me because I've done, and you fill in the blank. Oh, God, will I ever overcome this issue? And we fill in the blank. And Jesus looks at us in this gentle manner, and he says to us, if you knew me and know how I view you, you would live differently right now. Let that sink in for a moment. It's so easy for us to bring our shame to Jesus. Sometimes I think of like shame as this little box, you know, this little box. And for me personally, there are days where this is what I have to do is when I recognize that I feel as though I'm being overcome with shame, I imagine myself picking that box up and I take it out of my house and I put it in the yard and I put it down and I start jumping on it. And my neighbors look at me weird, but I don't care. And I start jumping on it because I'm crushing the shame that is trying to overcome me. And I'm going to tell you how to do that in just a few moments. But we're all called to live at a new level in our relationship with Jesus. All of us, no matter where we're at, whether we've been a Christ follower for 20 years or two days, we are all called to live at a new level of relationship with Jesus. That's what he calls us to. But unfortunately, we have a lot of inaccurate views of ourselves that tend to triumph over the views that God has for us. Think about that for a moment. 
really take an inward look at yourself right now. Don't think about the other person who should be hearing this message. This message is directly for you. I want you to close your eyes for a second. Don't worry, I'm not gonna do anything weird. Close your eyes and I want you to think inwardly right now. How do you speak to yourself throughout the day? How do you really view yourself? Do you believe in yourself? Do you believe that God is for you and not against you? You believe that he really has your back in your situation? Keep thinking and asking these questions to yourself. You really believe that God can use you because he's chosen to use you? Do you really believe that God trusts you with what he's given you responsibility over, what he's given you authority over? Go ahead and open your eyes. For some of us in here, the answer to all of those questions was no. Because shame holds a grip on us. And when Jesus comes to us and says, do you, do you believe me that, that I trust you to take this? And our general answer is usually, well, yeah, God, of course I do, but you don't understand. I made this horrible decision and now I'm dealing with the shame of it. Painful humiliation. So, I mean, I know you trust me, and, but... You just don't get it, right? When God looks at us and he says, do you really believe me that I have your back and that I'm for you and I'm not against you? And our automatic response, our, our religious responses is, yes, Lord, by the word, I know that you have my back. Hallelujah, amen. And, but you know, God, it's just crazy because I know what the word says, but you know, I just can't overcome this shame because, I mean, if you really understood what I did, then obviously you wouldn't have my back and you wouldn't be for me and you'd be against me. Sound familiar? Look with me at John chapter 4, verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as, also, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I really like this story a lot because it, it relates to us. It's, it's our story. So whether you're male or female, put yourself at the well with Jesus. Think about it for a moment. It's so mind-blowing what happens here. Did you catch how the woman responds to Jesus? Jesus gives her this mind-blowing illumination. And she responds back with the facts. Just the facts. 
She gives them a history lesson. She gives the history professor a history lesson, the one who created it. See, what she responds with, she goes, hey, okay, all right, I'm good at managing my sin and I'm good at knowing all the right religious, spiritual things to do so, so I can play his game. And, and what I'll do is I will, I will talk to him on his level. That way, what I'm dealing with and the shame that I'm dealing with will put us at arm's length so he can't get close enough to me to really realize what's going in inside of me. So I'll tell him exactly what I think he needs to know and wants to know. And in the same manner, when we come to Jesus, we become so good at managing our sin that we just return to what we know best. And so when it comes to overcoming shame, we return to what we know best. So when Jesus approaches us and he wants to lavish his love on us and he wants to remind us and he wants to show us that we can overcome this shame and that there is nothing greater, nothing greater than him and that this shame is so small in comparison to his majesty. We just return to it and we're like, yeah, but Jesus, listen, you know, I mean, I go to that great Bible study every Wednesday night. And, and you know, I, I do show up every Sunday for worship and I am on time. Sometimes I'm feeling very motivated and I get there by quarter till. And I know you honor that, unlike the latecomers. And we laugh because that's how we think though, right? And, or, or, or we're like, but Jesus, you know, I, I do pray daily and I do read the word daily. I mean, I do that thing called devotions on a regular basis. So I understand what you're talking about. I'm right with you. I'm tracking with you, buddy. And Jesus just looks at us and it's like, no, no. If, if you really know who I am, if you really know how I view you, you would live differently right now. The real reason we change is because the goodness of God has impacted our lives. It's not because we're good at sin management. We think that if we get our sin management down and we have perfected it, then we're going to change. It's not going to happen. Because sin management is in our own strength. And anything in our own strength will always fail compared to God's. But it is the goodness of God that brings life change. It is that living water that washes over our shame once we've encountered the goodness of God. And quite frankly, some of us are just afraid to really encounter the goodness of God because of what will happen. Shame has this way of overcrowding us and fogging our lenses in how we view things. Shame puts us in this place that, that we are so low and, and so taken down. And sometimes we call it humility, but it's really false humility. And, and shame has this way of pushing us all the way to the ground that we feel as though we cannot approach Jesus. And even the slightest fact of his goodness, even a smidge of his goodness being poured out on us, we're afraid to accept because of where we are at. 
I got to thinking about this. I thought about throughout my day, how much judgment and criticism go through my lens and the way I view things on a daily basis. And you know, when we begin to see things through our lens, judgment and criticism, we begin to speak it and then we begin to live it and we begin to believe it. And I want you to think for a moment about your relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What lens are you viewing it from? Do you seem to find that God is judgmental and criticizes you constantly? Do you feel as though when you approach him, you just can't add up to his love? You can't add up to his commandments? And then when you look at other followers of Jesus around you, you find yourself viewing them through the same lens of judgment and criticism. And then you throw the name of God on it. When that happens, shame wins because our vision is skewed. We do this a lot of times because we don't know how Jesus views us. Look with me at John 4, 15. This is where it gets really good. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true, sir. The woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, now catch this, I the one speaking to you, I am he. He was right in front of her, right there. She could touch the Messiah. Her lens was so overcrowded with shame that she didn't even recognize the true Jesus. She was so overcrowded by the shame of who she was as a woman, the shame of who she was named by according to society, and then the shame of her own immoral living. And she was so overcrowded by all of it that when the very Messiah himself was standing right in front of her, she couldn't see him. But all of a sudden, something changed. And she encounters the goodness of the Messiah she encounters this goodness and all of a sudden she begins to see who he is. Just like us. Just like us. Something happened that she was like, oh, wait, this whole sin management thing just isn't working. But whatever I'm feeling and experiencing right now, whatever I'm being hit with on the inside, whatever is turning in my heart right now is the goodness of God. And 
I am driven to want to change. And that's what happens when we get close to Jesus. And we begin to realize who he really is. And when we begin to realize who he really is, we begin to see how he really looks at us. And when we begin to see how he really looks at us, we begin to live differently. The only way that we overcome shame is with grace and knowing how God views us. You know, we use that word grace a lot, right? Only by the grace of God. It's under grace. Good thing we have grace. And what's happened over time is we've lost the definition of grace, especially in the way we live, right? There's two types of grace. My one friend calls one greasy grace. And greasy grace is simply this. Do whatever you feel like it because you believe there's always grace, that God is always going to be gracious. And that's not the case. That's a lie. Grace is a catalyst that always pushes us back to God. It's a catalyst that always draws us back to the presence of Jesus. So when we have sinned, when we have been overcome with shame, when we have made decisions that bring about painful consequences, grace is what brings us back to Jesus. It doesn't cause us to run the opposite direction. That's what shame does. Grace also is discovering the majesty, power, and love of God. That's what grace is. Think about it for a moment. When God gives us grace, it is that moment where we get this view into a picture of heaven where we get a glimpse of his majesty over our situation. Where we get in this moment where we're like, oh, I am deserving of hell. I am literally deserving of death. And in this moment, you're giving me a glimpse of your majesty over this situation. God, I am so far from deserving what it is that you want to do, that you rightfully have the ability to do to me. And right now in this moment, I'm getting a glimpse of your love that you could have chose to to do this. You could have chose to punish me. You could have chose to have done this to me and and had your justice rightfully so. And and now you're just giving me this glimpse of your love. And God, you're just opening this window right now. And I'm encountering your power in my personal life that enables me to overcome this shame and this sin that I have held on to for so long. That's what happened to the woman at the well. She comes and she encounters the Messiah and his goodness is poured out and it begins to churn within her heart over and over and over again. And then God, he releases his grace upon her. He releases his love and he releases his majesty and he releases his power over her and things begin to transform within her. God wants us to get who he is so we can understand how he looks at us. And the only way we're gonna understand how he looks at us is the scriptures. God's word is critical for identity. God's word is critical for identity. 
we need the word of God in our lives. It's imperative. Can't do without it. We need the word of God in our lives on a daily situation because it is in the word where we will discover how God views us. It's not gonna take a pastor, preacher, prophet, evangelist, whatever, to tell us how God views us. That, that's not what it's gonna take. What it's gonna take is for us to move ourselves into the word of God and to search with all might and power that we have to discover how he really views us and who he says that we really are. That's what it's gonna take. The word of God is so critical. See, understand this. It's not about being a husband. It's not about being a wife. It's not about being a brother, aunt, uncle, sibling. It's not about being a great small group leader. It's not about leading a Bible study. It's not about being a full-time minister, working on the floor at GE or whatever you do, work from home. It's not about being about a stay-at-home mom. What it comes down to is this. That's all you do is function that way. Your identity is in the word of God and that's where you'll find it. The reason some of us haven't overcome shame is because we're looking for our identity in the wrong places. And we've been missing it in the word. And God's calling us back to this place and he's saying, submerge yourself in my scriptures because I wanna show you how I look at you and I wanna show you who you really are. Let me tell you how to do this. Have you ever read a scripture and it just jumps out at you, not physically, but it just jumps out at you. And you're like, there's something about that scripture. I don't know what it is, but I got to keep going back to it. And you keep finding yourself going back over and over and over and over again. Or maybe it's a book of the Bible and you're just like, man, I don't know what it is. I don't want to read anything else. I want to stay planted right here in this passage of scripture. You know what God's doing? He's trying to point out to you and say, hey, I don't know if he says yoo-hoo, but just go with this. But he says, hey, yoo-hoo, that's what that says in there. That's how I view you. And I love it. I wrote that before you were born and, and I placed that on you in the womb. And that's who you're supposed to be. And that's how I view you. And it's not only how I view you, that's who you are designed to be. That's your identity. First Samuel 17 it's one of my identities. That's one of my heavenly identities that I have been given by God. It's the story of David and Goliath. I've spent years in 1 Samuel 17, reading it over and over and over again until it got inside of my heart. And when the Lord says to me, that is your identity. This is how I view you. I view you as a giant killer. Now you get that? You go into the word and the word is produced from heaven. That's how heaven views you. And so that means I live differently on the earth. I don't view myself as some young guy, wet behind the ears. I don't know how to live life. I don't know what I'm doing. I view myself as a giant killer because God says I am a giant killer and that's how he views me. And that's how heaven views me. So therefore I can live that way here on the earth. So I go to the scriptures. When I feel overwhelmed by shame, I return to where my identity is. And I open up to 1 Samuel 17. And remember when I told you I was jumping on that box of shame out of my front yard? I'm quoting scripture while I'm doing it. I will feed your carcasses to the birds of the air because I am a giant killer. 
That's what I'm going to do. When accusation comes against me and I know that it's the enemy, I go into my office and I open up the word, 1 Samuel 17, and I say, I will cut your head off and I will carry it in a parade of victory before the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about humans here. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the enemy people. <laughs> like, I don't want to upset him. <laughs> I'm talking about spiritually. I look to the enemy and I say, this situation will not overcome me. This shame will not overcome me. The Lord has given me authority and anointing and power. I will take out my sword and I will cut your head off and I will parade around the throne room with God because you have given this to me. The thing is though, is we have to live out the scriptures. See, once God gives us an identity, it's not something that you fold up and you put in your back pocket. And you drive around, you go to the mall with it, you go get groceries and you're like, oh, what's this? Identity, mm, that's cute. And you put it back in your pocket. God calls us to live it out. And so whatever those scriptures say, you gotta come to a place to live it out. You know how hard it is to live as a giant killer? You know how much working on your personal character it takes to get to that place? how much battles you will lose before you win some? Because a good warrior understands battle. They don't sit on the sidelines. And so whatever it is that God is saying to you, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, the Psalms, uh, the Gospels, whatever it is, that portion of scripture that God is giving to you, grab a hold of it. Grab a hold of it today. Go home and say, God, I need to find out my identity. I need to know how you view me and grab a hold of that scripture and don't leave that scripture until he says so. Don't be tempted to go read a bunch of Matthew. If you're not supposed to be in Matthew, get out of Matthew and go where you're supposed to be. Don't be like, I feel like a little Old Testament today, so I'm gonna jump over. God's gonna make it miserable for you. He wants you to know who you are and how he views you. God has multiple views of us. Multiple, not just one, multiple. And if you want to overcome shame and say no more shame, then you got to get into the word and you got to fight for that word. You got to fight for that identity. You got to fight for how he views you. The way it ends with the woman at the well is she gets a glimpse of how God views her. And it says that she runs back to town and she begins to tell everybody about Jesus the Messiah, not the prophet. Jesus the Messiah. And it says later that the whole town comes to know Jesus because she got a glimpse of how he views her. She got a glimpse of her identity. I'm going to ask you to take a posture of receiving as I declare this over you this morning. You are holy. You're pure, you are unstained, you are without blemish. The slate has been wiped clean, not because of what any of us have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Therefore, we declare today that shame has no place in your life anymore.
because God has defined your identity, your multiple identities. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Have an excellent week.